What do you think the secret to happiness is then? Like, what did you find along your journey? It's choice. That is the key. It's choice. How do you want to be in life? How do you want to show up? And then you need to back up that choice with intentional activity. So unless you want to do something, unless you want to change and then do the things that will create that change, nothing changes. So you have to have the desire and then the action. As a young child, Edwina Adams was quiet by nature. She would whisper when speaking. In boot camp, she was thrashed for not yelling loud enough. But when she discovered her ex-husband was a con man, she started to make noise, proving you don't have to be loud to make some noise. Now Edwina's on a mission to motivate so kick back and tune in for candid conversations with those who have harnessed the power of their voices. Let's make some noise. Welcome to Let's Make Some Noise, where no matter what you sound like, you can make some noise. I'm Edwina Adams, and today I'm talking with Mar Maria Baltazzi. She's a PhD, MFA, and author of Take a Shot at Happiness, How to Write, direct and produce the life you want. Maria was also one of the original supervising producers of the hit TV show Survivor and has produced many other shows and documentaries. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have our conversation. Yeah, you know, this podcast is about making noise, no matter what you sound like. And a lot of your work has been very adventurous. And, you know, your voice is uh, because of that. When I say voice, it could be just like how you show up in the world. And, and But were you always this adventurous person? I would say that there was always shades of it. I, I can remember reading my first books and, and I was always attracted to books that took place in other, other locales. If I, if I had another life and I have felt this all my life, I was a pirate. I was a pirate on the seven seas. So I think that there, there were always <laughs> really? the seeds. Yeah, seriously. Um, so I, there was always the seeds of, uh, adventure and it also runs in my family. My, my father was an adventurer. Um, my grandfather was, he fled Russia and walked across uh, Russia. Um, sleeping in in um, cemeteries during the day and and walking to escape Russia at night. So that that spirit of of going out and seeking is definitely in the blood. That's incredible. So did you grow up hearing these stor stories directly from your grandfather? I did not hear these stories directly from my grandfather. He lived in Greece. So he left Russia and ended up uh, settling in Greece after he met my grandmother, and he didn't speak English, so he only spoke Greek and Russian. Oh, so, wow. and and I didn't get to see him that much. So I would hear these stories from my parents. That is incredible. And as a child, did you experience any adventures, or was it it was through your reading, or did you get to travel much as a child as well? Uh, it was through my reading primarily. 
However, as a kid growing up outside of Chicago, we had a, co- a cottage up in northern Wisconsin. And every weekend, we were going up to northern Wisconsin to be on the lake, to target shoot, to hike. So there, there was always, there was always an outdoor element to, um, to, to my, my childhood. Oh, yeah. So I lived in Chicago for about three years, Chicagoland. And it's so beautiful up there, the, you know, the, the Lake Michigan and Wisconsin area. So yes, I can see how adventure would be, um, a part of your childhood because people are outdoorsy there. Uh, you know, I live in Texas and it's hot all the time and we're not as outdoorsy. So that's something I miss from being in that Chicago climate climate. For sure. At least in the summertime, <laughs> maybe not so much in the winter. <laughs> um, awesome. So what, uh, well, with this book that you've written, you know, all these things you've done in your career, um, a lot of things with film, but what brought you to the space of being an author and writing this book? Self-preservation. Truly. Really? Yeah. The demands of doing television production, any kind of film production, it's very demanding, very stressful. And I was finding that over time, I was just caring too much, too intensely. I was making other people's stuff become my stuff. You know, I I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to please. I wanted people to be happy on the crew. And, and it just was so much to absorb that I was noticing that, that it, it was affecting my well-being and I wanted to do something about it. Yeah. Well, good for you for, for taking care of yourself. You know, so many people don't. Um, I know I was one of those people. I actually nearly died in 2020. And a big part of it, that is I think I was not taking care of myself because I'm, I am a healthy person in general. <laughs> But I wasn't taking care of myself as far as like knowing when to say no or knowing when to slow down. And it's just it's there has to be a balance in your life. I agree. And a lot of people don't know how to balance or where to draw the boundaries. And and I, you know, I was that that person, too. You would work crazy long hours and you weren't paying attention to your sleep and to exercising and to eating the right things, all the things that that we know just in terms of general nutritional, physical health, you that just goes out the door. You just you're chasing that next deadline. And and every time you get onto a new production, you're chasing yet another deadline. So you never really get a rest unless you are not working on a project and, and just keeping that up over time, it, it's, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting physically. It's a, a exhausting mentally. Uh, there, there's a guy I know um, and he has a saying, it's uh, his name is Tony Grubmeyer, but he says, there's nowhere to get, you know, we always, and he's like a fortune 500 CEO. He's very, you know, productive in his life and does all these amazing things. But it, just like you, it's like, there's nowhere to get, like, just enjoy where you are, find some peace and happiness because the burnout is real, you know, and not worth it. So from the time that you said, hold up, I got to just slow down. Something's off. I got to fix this. From the time that you kind of found yourself in that position and recognizing that to writing this book, how, how long was that journey for you? 
You know, it's hard to say how long the journey was because there, there, I, I feel it's been a gradual unravel that, that I was always keeping track of things that were meaningful to me or upsetting to me. You know, I would, I would put them into a journal and I kept this over a long period of time. I don't, journal anymore because I lost two journals and that kind of cured me of keeping a daily journal. Oh, no. (laughs) However, there was one journal that I had that I had kept for a number of years that that had both the the painful moments and and the epiphanies and and the joyous times. And I had started to think about the book and I had transcribed out of the journal the positive things. And when I lost my journal, I lost my mind. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, so much was in that journal. And then I realized, you know what, that's a blessing because what I kept from that journal was the good stuff. And I, I, hmm. I got rid of the pain. I didn't have to read those words again. And, and I felt that that, that, was, that was a gift and the gift that remained became a lot of the stories that ended up in my book. So it's it's hard to say oh where gosh, one Maria, begins and the other ends because I think it's, you know, my whole life has was leading in some way up to writing this book. That is beautiful. And that leads me to a quote that I found in your book that says, life is like a camera. Focus on what's important. Capture the good times develop from the negatives. And if things don't do not work out, take another shot. And that's, that's what you did. I mean, you lost those journals. You're like, Oh, my gosh, this is this is a big negative, right? But look what you did, you turned it into this big positive. That is really cool. Yeah. And and I was also at another point in my life where nothing was working. My professional life wasn't what I wanted it to be. My personal life wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I felt that I had hit a, a really rock bottom for, for myself. And I remember sitting in my office in Los Angeles and, and thinking, you know, I do not want this to define me now or ever. Yeah. And that's when that really took form in terms of making a, a conscious effort to read books, to go to courses, and the courses turned into certificates and turned into to degrees. <laughs> the, it was really that moment where I, I made the choice to, um, you know, bring my life up instead of keeping my life down. Well, that's, that's awesome. And what, uh, what do you think the secret to happiness is then? Like, what did you find along your journey? And I get that's probably one of the most often asked question. Yeah, what is the secret or the key to happiness, especially as someone who has studied it as much as I have? And it's choice. That is the key. It's choice. How do you want to be in life? How do you want to show up? And then you need to back up that choice with intentional activity. So unless you want to do something, unless you want to change and then do the things that that will create that change, 
nothing changes. So you have to have the desire and then the action. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And in, in your book, you know, if people were to read this, I mean, I know what my thoughts are on it, but what would you say, uh, what makes this book different? You know, there's books that talk about happiness. They, what is making this one different? The creative approach that I take. Uh, there are many really fantastic books that are out there about happiness and they're sitting on my bookshelf. You know? And I've had many fantastic teachers. And what I found is that, that having a creative approach just taps into, um, it just taps into you differently. You know, I think it's one thing when you are reading things that are more, academic or science-based versus allowing creativity to, you know, come alive and, and spring forth. I think, I think you, I think you learn and absorb and retain differently when it's a creative process. And, and coming from, coming from a creative background, I wrote the book that I wish I would have had earlier in my journey. You know, yeah. what was cathartic for me, you know, there are three Three things that the book revolves around in terms of guiding, guiding people on a happiness journey. And that is uh, journaling. The three things, you know, that is journaling in two forms. One is in written form and then one is fo photo journaling. And then the other one is being in community. Yeah. There, there is a, a community for readers where you can share your experiences within the book. There are different, uh, what I call photo ops and action opportunities where I give specific assignments, if you will, to, um, to, to write and take photos to help you absorb, to anchor into the material that you're reading. So it's not just reading. You're also, you're also backing it up with an activity to help you learn and giving you a community that makes learning more fun. It makes learning, um, uh, uh, where you're being accountable. And it also having a community makes you feel like you're not alone. You're not alone in your journey. You're seeing that people are, are having the same kinds of questions and issues, or, or maybe they're offering you a perspective that you hadn't thought about. So that's why there's, there is intentionally three, three pillars that, that the book is, built around in terms of guiding you on your path. So it's, it's, it's writing, it's photography and it's community. Yeah. And that is very different. I mean, I've never seen a book like that, that it really draws you in and has you just get to work and show that work and have a community right away with it. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I, I, I agree with you that like creativity is key. Um, you know, uh, our creator is a creator, right? And we're created in his image. So we are made to be creators. And here's what I found in like my own journey when I almost died. What I had never even thought about was I had, I used to paint 20 years ago. I hadn't picked up a paintbrush in 20 years. And in my healing journey, I started painting again. And I would just quiet myself and paint. And this creativity was flowing out of me like crazy. And my husband was, 
didn't even know. He's like, I didn't know you had this side of you. Like, this is incredible. So I I truly attribute that creativity to healing. And photography is just as creative. I've done photography as well. I love it. So there's so much creativity. And it they're really, you're onto something is what what I'm trying to say. You're definitely onto something that that uh, encouraging people to tap into their creativeness. It's like nothing else. It, It is healing. So yeah, and the thing about it is, and, and, you know, photography in, in particular, what I was finding for myself is that taking photographs became its own kind of meditation, you know, where I would settle on one image and I would pay attention to what exactly I wanted in the frame. What is the information, the story that I want to tell within that frame? And mm-hmm. I, I, in many respects, enjoyed do, taking pictures more than working with a crew, you know, on, you know, shooting a, a story because it was just me and that little frame that I was looking through where I would put my, my focus on. And when you think about how we think, we think in pictures and often we do it unconsciously. We're not conscious of, of that movie that is playing in our head. And when you start to have photo assignments that are spe- specific to lessons that you're learning that are teaching you the qualities the habits of happy people, you start to become more aware of the kinds of thoughts that you are having. And with that awareness, with that presence, then you can do something to change it. You can change those unproductive thoughts to productive thoughts. You know, we talk a lot about positive thinking. I feel the, the, the more correct, uh, statement, the, the, the more helpful statement is constructive thinking, productive thinking. And that's what you want to do is, is look at how your, your thoughts are coming up, the quality of those thoughts. And are those the kinds of thoughts that you want to have? And if not, you can now do something to change them. You can't change what you don't know. So that's where, you know, doing mindful photography, if you will, really helps, you know, that, that you start to, to see and then start to realize the images that are in your head. That's awesome. So there's a quote about gratitude in your book and it says the world we see and feel is the product of our thoughts. And then it goes on to say, um, if there's a lens of choice, let it be gratitude. The only prayer you ever need to say is thank you. That's super powerful. And, you know, the Bible's been teaching that for a long time, but science knows this as well, right? The same exact place in your brain where anxiety lives is where gratitude lives. It's like a superpower if you can just like replace those thoughts. Now, you know, I was in EMS. I was in the military. PTSD is a thing. I will. There's a caveat. There is some anxiety that stems from a different place in the brain that can be from triggering of triggering events and things like that. But when when we are most of us are so overridden with these like future thoughts and things like this, that's just anxiety, right? And you can replace those thoughts with gratitude. And it's incredible that that can happen. 
Well, you're bringing up a couple of things. Um, there is a huge body of research that supports gratitude for your overall well-being. I mean, just do a quick, quick thing right now, quick little, quick experiment right now. Um, think of something that upsets you, something you're not grateful for. Bring that to mind for a moment and notice how your body feels. Mm-hmm. You got it? Powerful. Okay. All <laughs> right. Like now, <laughs> now think of something that you are grateful for. And what is the difference? Ooh, there's like an energy. I mean, there's literally an energy, you know, it's a mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. powerful. Yeah, and and uh, one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Rick Hansen, he he teaches this concept called uh, taking called taking in the good. Dr. Hansen teaches this concept called taking in the good, and what that is, it's the practice of finding moments that are are pleasurable experience. So you can either have a, a pleasant, un, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. And, and paying attention to those pleasurable experiences and holding that experience for 20 to 30 seconds. So you are savoring it. You are making it a memory. And what that starts to do over time is create a positive neural pathway away from the negative. Mm, yeah. And when you have uh, troubling times, you now have a way to say, okay, I have this upset. What is good in this moment? Or what memory can I bring into this moment alongside this, this negative moment and you favor that good and the more you favor that good that negative starts to fall away so you're you're just the more you do that you're creating like you know creating a hiking path on on a dirt road you know it it just it's it's barely you barely see it and then the more you keep walking so the more you keep savoring the good, the stronger that becomes as, as a neural pathway towards the positive. So yeah, you have to yeah. trailblaze it first, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What a gift that we have to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it is a teachable thing. So, uh, you know, people have been through so many different things in their lives and sometimes it's a harder thing to trailblaze, but it can be done for sure. <laughs> Um, it, and and that's the thing that that everything in my book, it's 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 teachable. These are all all things that when you make the choice to be happy, to create that as your state of being, it is learnable. And and my book gives you gives you that path. So it's it's a book that that teaches you how to be happy. Yeah. Very cool. So there, there is a story. Maybe you can tell us about it. Um, and I think it was from Survivor, um, where gratitude was really shown. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. <laughs> it's one of my favorite gratitude stories, and something I actually think about uh, 
at least once a year. And you'll find out in a moment why. So it was uh, the second season in Australia and the tribes had already merged. And I showed up on the beach and everyone was so hot and lethargic. They were so tired. They wouldn't even sit at, at the side of the water and put in a pole with a fishing hook to get some food because they were so hungry, but they were just too lethargic to do anything. And we had a challenge that day. And so I got them, I got them to the challenge and it was an endurance challenge. And I thought, oh, well, these guys are so, so tired and his, uh, so lacking in energy that, that this is going to go over quite quickly. And it went on and on and on. It went on for hours. The reward was to have a night at a camp with, uh, with, um, Cowboys, Australian cowboys and eat hot dogs and tell stories. And so that was a great motivator for a group that was hungry is the, are the, were those hot dogs and the real food. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Spending time with cowboys and, and being inside a, a warm tent and not a cot and something that, that wasn't, that wasn't in the dirt. So they were strongly motivated to keep doing this endurance, which was the endurance, uh, that the endurance challenge was they held across their back. They had this long pole and at the either end were, were buckets of sand. So that's no easy task to hold on to. Wow. And it went on and on and on. And as the, the challenge was uh, going on, storm clouds were starting to accumulate and they had built their their tent in a dry riverbed because it was the easiest access to the river. So oh, no. by the time we got done with the challenge and back to camp, a flash flood had hit the had hit the camp and washed out everything almost. And it just it just devastated them. And I remember that episode. It was so sad. It it really was. And they were so, so despondent. They had a can of rice, but they didn't have any matches. So they had no food. Everything was wet and sandy. A lot of Mm. their things were now gone in the flood. And it was now nightfall. And they just, they just, their spirits broke. And one by one, they just, plunked down onto the sand and they held, huddled with their backs against each other and pulled a wet sandy blanket over them. And they just sat there. And then Elizabeth Hasselbeck realized that it was Thanksgiving and the game stopped. I, I could feel the game stop. There, there was no talk about alliances, gameplay, nothing. And in that moment, you could feel the energy shifting. And they started, each one of them said what they were grateful for. And it was the most touching moment. I I actually was so taken by, by what they were doing. I spent the night with them. 
I didn't go back to, oh to camp. I really? didn't go, I didn't go back to where uh-huh. I had shelter and food and, and a bed to sleep on. I stayed with them. I was so concerned. And, Dang. you know, you see that, you see that in real life, you know, you can say, oh, well, it's a game and, and, um, you know, they're playing for a million dollars. Yeah. I'm not sorry for these people, but you have to consider the context <laughs> for them. It was very real. They didn't have their families. It was a holiday. They're hungry. They're tired. It's in the middle of the night. Production was not going to feed them. So, you take that, it was real. That, it, it, was real. <laughs> yeah. it was very real yeah. for them, which is why I spent the night with them. Cause I, I just, I really felt for that. I couldn't do anything other than just be you know, there to be supportive. And that, you know, goes into real life. When you see these disasters, I mean, you know, Maui, the, the floods in Libya and all the, all the things that, that have been going on in, in our world. And you get these news events where a family is being, being interviewed and they're weeping and crying and, and they are grateful. They're grateful that they're alive. They're grateful that their family is still there. Even though they have lost so much, they still found something to be grateful for. And that, that gratitude is giving them strength and hope. So huge. Yeah. Gratitude is huge when you talk about happiness. So big. Wow. What a powerful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting to hear the backstory and that, like you said, that it really was real and, um, says a lot about you that you stayed there with them. That's amazing. I'm sure they were comforted by that. My husband's a a mental health therapist now. And that's one thing I've learned from him, just the number one thing. It's not really about maybe even what you can do for somebody, but just being there for somebody. Mm -hmm. And, And I think about that, that, that night, every, every Thanksgiving, not a Thanksgiving goes by when I don't reach out to Tina Wesson in particular. Yeah, I think about. I, oh, yeah, she seemed amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What yeah. neat people! Yeah. We all did a good job of casting that show too, because they just were. Especially that season uh, was really uh, just a lot of great people. <laughs> the the one for season two is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. A lot of really great people. Well, what would you say has been the most challenging thing that life has been teaching you this year? This year. The most challenging thing is to remember all of the things that I have studied this many years. And the reason is I I lost my beautiful mother at the end of June. And I can promise you in July... I was not, I was not necessarily practicing what I was teaching. And so yeah. bringing myself back to what I know are, are, are good things for me to be doing. So it's, it's mm-hmm. remembering, remembering all of the happiness essentials that, that I write about. 
you know, remembering to keep my faith alive, remembering to being loving, remembering to taking care of my health. You know, those are just, you know, three of the three of the eight. So, yes, it's it's keeping keeping <laughs> keeping what I'm teaching out there, <laughs> keeping that going for myself. I hear you. you know well, I'm sorry we, about the recent loss of your mother. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I would say this book for for those, like, get the book, okay, and keep it um, at your bedside to, like Maria said, to remember. Because when I read it, um, you know, a lot of these things I know, and I do try to practice. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty positive, happy person, but I was going through some rough stuff. And then, like, it was so timely. And and I was just like, oh my gosh, I really needed to read this. So it, it is one of those things. I'm just going to pull <laughs> whenever I'm feeling those moments and it's just hard and I need to remember again. This is a great, great resource. So kudos. And um, <clears throat> yeah, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, the, and that was the hope of the book. You know, that, that was the hope of the book is that people would keep it. It's not just something. And that's the other thing that I feel is uh, different with my book. Yeah, I, I think it's a book that that goes beyond just reading it once and you put it onto the bookshelf and say, well, that was great. And I learned a lot next because the book was in, uh, intentionally written for the chapters to be standalone. So you can go to the chapter where you need to be fortified. So if you need to spend more time in your faith, if you need to spend more time on, on working on being uh, grateful, you can just go to that chapter and you're not missing out on anything else. And, and if you read the book all the way through, then you can go back to those chapters when you need, uh, you know, a reminder, a reinforcement. Like I'm, I'm using my own work. You know, we, can have good um, practices. However, we're human, and and we have our ups and downs, and and we're not and we're not happens. always right. Life happens, and we're not always positive, and it's not always easy. But when you create a baseline, or you have a place that you can go back to to help you, and that's that's what I want my book to be. Is that that it's a companion that you keep with you, and then uh, I'm creating an app to be a companion to the book, so you can always have have the uh, photography and the writing assignments, the the photo ops and the action opportunities on your phone, so you can always happiness on the go, if you will, that you can always be working on that that. Um, quality that you want to instill more in yourself. That's really cool. So, um, Maria, what legacy do you aspire to leave through your voice? I aspire to leave a happier world, truly. I would like my book and subsequent books, the intention of this current book is that each chapter become its own book and that oh I God. show people that that there is a way to being happier and that it is within your control 
that that people really understand that that concept that happiness is within your control as long as you choose that and do something about it. You know, the the we all have what's called a happiness set point. And that's something that came out of the happiness research lab of Sonia Lubomirsky at uh, the University of Riverside. And we have 50% of our happiness is determined by our DNA, our genetics. Then we have 10% that is determined by our life circumstance. And then we have 40% that determines our happiness by the intentional act, actions that we take to affect our happiness. So in my mind, that 40% can impact that 10%, which is your life circumstances. And even for your DNA, for genes to fully express, they have to be in the right environment. So even though you are predisposed to something, it doesn't have to be so. Mm. Right. So there is so much that is within your control in terms of your state of being, of happiness. It's not a fleeting emotion. It's, it's, it's a way of being that you choose. And so that's the legacy that, that I want to leave behind that people understand this and, and, and truly do something about it. Because if we can raise our happiness level, meaning our level of consciousness, it just will make for a better world. Yeah. You know, it will help towards climate change and, and conservation and all those big issues that we're having, warring nations. So that's, mm -hmm. that's my, my great hope. Yeah. And then just, uh, in, you break it down into individual families. So many families are hurting and, uh, there's just a general lack of happiness. So thank you for writing this book. It is very powerful. It's going to help a lot of people. I know it. And where can people connect with you or you. find the book? The book is, <laughs> off, is the book is available wherever books are sold. And Amazon has a Kindle version if that's the way you like to read. So you can get it at Target, Walmart, Barnes and Nobles. So wherever books are sold, and then you can find me online pretty easily. It's Maria Baltazzi, and you can find that on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Insight Timer, where I'm a meditation teacher. So many ways you can connect with me. Great. Well, thank you so much. And um, thank you again for being here. It's been an honor to have you on and learn more about you and your book. And um, for everyone else, you can, if you want to connect with me, you can go to edwinnaadams.com, uh, learn more about my background and how to connect with me on all my social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real honor being here. Thank you for having me as a guest.